trying to decide whether to come tender or whether to come fired up because I'm feeling both at the moment. Um, I'll just be both. Is that okay? Should we cry and shout at the same time? That's cool. Yeah, somewhere in the middle maybe. We'll see. Okay, wow. So um, we're in such a powerful, significant time in history. And um, I don't know about you, but we're coming to a moment in our lives where we have to allow the reality of the dream of God, the master plan of the Father and what He's doing to affect our everyday lives. So what I mean by that is that He is coming back. And I think most of us as Christians, when we uh, think about this day, the returning of the Lord, it's like a cartoon in our heads that we play out sometimes, where we picture this, you know, we've heard a couple of things in Revelations, and we picture this, but we can't quite get our heads around this moment, so we just prefer not to think about it too much. Or, I mean, Jason and I were chatting about this last night, or I think a lot of people are afraid of that day. So it's because we're afraid, it's easy to block it out. But we're in a time that is, is very, very real, and we're going to talk about that today, where we know we're in the, the, the beginning of the end of life as we know it. And the returning of the Lord is soon, and it's not something to be afraid of, it's something that should bring us great joy. And I think the reason why sometimes the church finds themselves in a place of ineffectiveness, if that's a word, is because we, we don't understand the great joy that we can live with, understanding that today I'm closer to His return than I was yesterday. And if I believe that I'm in one of either the generation or one of the last generations of this age, if I believe that the returning of the Lord may happen in my own time, because it could, yeah. If I believe that, though, how do I live my life? Does that make sense? So I want, to, I want to talk today a little bit about where God has us as a church. And I feel like we're in a season where we're bringing a lot of context to what's happening. The last couple of weeks have been wild. And so as from a pastoral point of view, we've journeyed with so many of you because when the glory of the Lord comes upon the house, all the junk comes to the surface because it's, it it's not meant to be there. So the glory of the Lord has been intensifying. We've seen signs, wonders, miracles. I want to say to you, in the words of Keanu and Delizia, the book of Acts is alive in the church. Yes. Why, why do I say that? Because it's happening. And the thing is, we, we go like, no, but here? In, in our little community? Absolutely. I, I, I've got testimonies that in the last two weeks that will blow your mind with what God's doing. Where we've got people encountering the Lord and giving away half of their life savings. Sounds like Zacchaeus. We've got people coming, getting healed, delivered from demonic oppression, coming into new freedom, people getting saved. There's a young gentleman from, he'll be here tonight, from a cafe down the road. I want to tell, share his testimony. So we saw him, and there was something about this guy every time we went to this cafe. His name is Nkokeli, N-K. And uh, yo, he's, a, he's a big unit, man. He's ripped. He's, a, he's, got, a, he's got a body to envy. Anyway, he's, he's a big dude. Um, anyway, he, uh, he was, ought to be scared of, yeah, you could probably damage you, yeah. <laughs> but he, um, anyway, we see this guy, and there's something about him. And uh, he ended up, every time we're there, he ends up serving us, every time. And so we just enjoyed kind of getting to know him. Then one of the, the days, there was no power here, and so we ended up having our staff meeting in this cafe. 
And it was the weekend after Pastor Perry was here. So you can imagine what the staff meeting was about. Um, it was pretty wild. And, uh, and as he walked up, I felt the Holy Spirit say he's in pain. And I said, are you in pain? Is there any pain? And he said, yes, my tonsils. I'm, it's so sore to speak. All we did was recognize, just obey a little whisper of the Holy Spirit. We reached out, prayed for this guy, and the next thing he's in tears. So we get up, we all come around, we start praying for him, just blessing him, and, uh, and he's just like totally undone. We get his cell phone number, and the Lord says to me, you need to bless him. And I'm just, can I be vulnerable and honest with you? So it was the last few hundred rand in my account, and I felt the Lord say, all of it, which that was our grocery money. That was the week's groceries. And I phoned Jess, she didn't answer, so I came back and said, I think it's a Yes. <laughs> Because I know, I know my wife, so I phoned to get permission. But the fact that she didn't answer means I tried. I can now do <laughs> what God said. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm teasing. Jess would have told me to give double, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the Lord says give it, so we give it. And he gets rocked. So much so that I begin to disciple this guy over the phone the next couple of weeks. And he keeps saying to me, my life has not been the same since that moment. And we begin to talk about the call of God on his life and the, the dreams of his heart. And, and he's passionate about fitness. And when you see him, you'll understand why. Um, and, uh, and he really feels like God's called him into this area of fitness. And God's going to use this fitness thing, this personal training, gifting, and anointing on his life to reach people. Um, but anyway, he says, he says to me, but I feel like that's for later. I feel like the Lord is he's teaching me some things. And, and I, he wants to take me out of this this season that I'm in, and he shares with me about um, he has a child, and he, he uh, works and waits to pay his child's medical bills, um, and he's a young dude. Anyway, long story short, it was his birthday recently, and the Lord tells me to get him a gift, so I get him a gift, and it was yesterday morning, right? We were there. Yesterday morning, we went for breakfast with some, some friends from the city, um, and we went uh, to this cafe. And he was there. And so we gave him his gift and wished him happy birthday. And he was so rocked. He says, I have to tell you what's happening. He says, a week ago in this cafe, a man, I'm serving this man at a table. And this man says to me, there's something about you. There's something on your life. What do you, what's your passion? What do you, and he shares all of this. And he says, okay, would, you've got this, this way about you with people. Would you be interested, interested in a marketing or sales job? And he was like, I have no qualification. And the guy says, I'm not interested in your qualification. I'm interested in you. He says, there's something about you. And he said, I really believe you'll be a benefit to my business. And now, just so you know, this is my friend lives in Zanspreit. And he just works day to day to take care of his little boy. Right? Now suddenly someone's saying to him, there's something about you as a person. I'm not too concerned about your qualification, but you. And I really feel like you're going to bring something new to my business. And so he hires him on the spot. And so yesterday he says to me, at the end of this month, I start a job. How's this? I'm going to be running a whole department marketing and sales. He gets to travel, which he's never done. He's so excited about. And then the, the best part is he gets to come to church because he's not going to work on Sundays. And, uh, and I was so undone because I'm, I'm, I'm realizing, Lord, it's the power of a simple, small obedience to the Lord. He begins to move on somebody's life, but it's the whole gospel that's ministered to him. It's not a moment where he gets that little, yay, okay, awesome, feel good about myself. No, he, Jesus actually says, if you follow me, I'll take you out of the mess, and I'll bring you into a whole new season, and I'm going to equip you and enable you for what I've called you to do. 
And so we are living in a time where these, this is going to become an everyday thing for every single one of you. As the church, God's calling us to step out, to begin to move and operate in signs, wonders, miracles, and the prophetic, not because we're waiting to see which gift we have, but because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Are you with me? So Holy Spirit's doing this. He's moving on the church, and we find ourselves in a place. How many of you were here a couple of weeks ago when we all screamed yes? Right? There was a, a powerful testimony Joy might share maybe tonight about actually a man in Israel who had a dream about her, and she was standing with a group of people on one side of the street. And, and this man was walking, by the way, he's a, he's a, a Jew from, from Israel, and uh, he said he was walking down the street in his dream. There was a group of people on the one side screaming yes, and Joy was in this group, and there was a group on the other side of the road saying no, and they were all depressed and grumpy. And he was walking down the street, and he looked at Joy, part of this whole group of people who are screaming, yes, yes. And he was wondering who they're saying yes to. Suddenly, he saw this man standing in the center of this group of people, this man with a white cloak. And, and the, the, man, the, the friend of her said, I cannot describe this man to you, but all you wanted to do was be near him. Right? And then he says this, I think it could be Yeshua. It's a man in Israel, right? This is our friend, little Joy, in 24-7, who has a friend who's a Jew in Israel who's encountering Yeshua and sees Joy standing with a group of people in his dream screaming yes to Yeshua. And then he says, I think I need to join the group that's saying yes to Yeshua. So she's able to actually disciple this guy over WhatsApp. That's wild. So we're in a time right now, this is happening in our community. People are, the generosity that's, that's coming out of this house is unbelievable. I cannot even, I can't, in, in, in one transaction, <laughs> yes ma'am, <laughs> unlock. I won't, just to honor, I won't mention names and things, but I just want to say this. The generosity in this house, in one transaction, our next trip to Turkey is completely paid for. <laughs> All he's looking for is obedience. I need to get to my preach, but I'll say one more thing. Um, do you want to know how easy it is to sow into missions? See, sometimes God gives people or speaks to people and they sow massive amounts, and, and that's a big deal because we see it, the Bible's full of it, selling assets to lay it at the apostles' feet. It's, the Bible's full of it. But I want to explain something to you. This is how easy it is to sow into missions. Majority of the people in this room could skip one takeaway meal, save about 250 rand, and sow it once a month. You get 100 people sowing 250 rand a month, and suddenly, every three months, you're taking teams into the 1040 window, fully paid for. Are you catching what I'm saying? This is not about, people go, how do I sow into missions? I don't have a spare 5,000 rand lying around. But do you have, can, and, and I want to say this. Sometimes people go, hey, man, hey, it's nice if you even get takeaways. Okay, cool. Well, how's about you eat toast one night and save the money that you would have spent on that meal and sow it into missions every month? So one night a month, you eat toast. And you sow that cash into, the, into missions. Or fast. There we go. Yeah. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? It's going to take a family of people that commit. See, the longevity of missions, how we finish the Great Commission, is when a whole family of people commit their hearts to, to the dream of God. 
when we're not trying to live off of the obedience of one or two or three or four or a few who are getting it done, and I get to say that I'm a part of it because I attend that service. No, we're all called with our own hearts to commit. You with me? Yay. Somewhere today, maybe now, um, I really feel like the Lord wants to, the person I thought of was actually my grand, um, but I'm sure it's a few people, but the Lord wants to commission intercessors or the harvest. So I want to just show you real quick, and then I'll preach. I promise that I'm hurrying up. Um, Matthew 9, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so pray. Okay, cool, you didn't hear what I said. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. I don't know why, but this morning I just felt, I knew it was for my grand, like the Lord was just giving fresh purpose to my grand. But to many others as well. That you might be in a season where you go like, sheesh, I don't really know, I'm so hungry and burning for this, but I don't feel like God's called me right now to necessarily go. But how do I participate. Well, Jesus didn't say, he didn't start off with, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, so go. He actually started out with, so pray. And then when you pray to the Lord of the harvest, he's the Lord of the harvest, he will send out. And that word send out is not just send out, he'll decide to move on. It's actually egbalo, which is why we named our coffee that. It means violently hurl forth. In other words, you don't get a choice because he's Lord of the harvest. Are you with me? No, I'm serious, because, you know, it's like, oh, the Lord's going to send forth, and I'm just waiting to be sent forth. You don't understand that word. It's igbalo. It's thrust forth. It's violent. It's like God picks you up and throws you before you've even caught your breath. You just, pew. So I want to commission, if you feel, right now, as I said that, if you feel commissioned to pray for the harvest, will you stand? I know it's for my grand, so grand, you have to stand. But <laughs> no, it's not just my grand. Some there's more of you. You need to stand. Awesome. If you all want to pray, that would also be great. Yeah. Yeah. So Holy Spirit, I release a commissioning right now upon every heart in this room to respond to the invitation and the call of Jesus, to find purpose in the dream of God, and to see that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, the harvest is now. And though the laborers are few for the moment, they will not be forever. And so we will pray to the Lord of the harvest. We will pray, not pray to try and convince others. We will pray to the Lord of the harvest and say, Lord, send forth, egbalo, thrust forth, laborers into the harvest, into the 1040 window, into every unreached nation, every unreached people, group, tribe, and tongue. We pray that you egbalo laborers in Jesus' name. And I pray today that you mark us as intercessors who will stand in the gap Stand in the gap and begin to contend for people we've never met, never seen, and may never even know until we stand in the glory realm with them. But Father, we will pray. And so I release fresh fire on the intercessors in this house, and I release a commissioning right now upon every single mouth to begin to unlock and pray and pray and pray and pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can sit. So we're in a time. I need to get into my preach, so I'm going to go for it. Okay. We're in a time where 
God has anointed 24-7 church as a forerunner church. That's you. So I know, I've been saying this to Jess, I've been processing something in my heart. If you take Connor Blair Lauder and you strip him right down to why he is breathing air on this earth right now. Because I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for me, okay? If you strip me down to the, the very core of my being as to why I am taking another breath right now, I believe it's for two things. And they're one thing, but two expressions. I am alive for the great harvest, and I am alive to prepare myself and a bride for the return of Jesus. That's it. It's two things. Am I about family and, and, and gather? Yes, all of those things fit into those things somewhere. But if you were to strip me down and say, why are you alive? There is a, the greatest revival we have ever seen that will bring in the greatest harvest we've ever seen. It's coming, and we need to be ready for it. So I feel like we're called to prepare for that. But we are also called to be prepared as a bride for His glory that He will return and we will stand before Him. And every single one of us will have a conversation with our King of glory. And it will go something like this. What did you do with the 70, 80, 90 years that I gave you? That's it. And so we're in a moment right now where God has shaken the church. He stripped us right back. He's got rid of all the stuff. And now we're forced to make a decision. Do we go back to our defaults and what we know, or do we lean in to the dream of God and allow Him to redefine, reshape, reconstruct how we do what we do? And see, the thing is, we get so methodical. We chase methods, and then we miss the point. It's not methods. It's His heart. If we catch the heart of Jesus, we can be in a room like this today and be on the other side of the world tomorrow. And it doesn't matter. We are the church. Are you catching what I'm saying? So th there's an anointing to be forerunners. Take your Bibles out. Go to Luke chapter 1. See, forerunners are people that are called to go ahead and to prepare. They're called to go ahead and to prepare for what's coming. Are you with me? What you're going to find throughout this entire word is number one, you're going to feel, those of you that are, have an anointing and a call to be forerunners, you're going to feel your spirit awaken, and I give you permission to let it out. But what's going to happen over the house is that you're all going to begin to understand why we are doing what we are doing, why we're not so interested in filling chairs, but why we're interested in seeing Christ in you, the hope of glory, manifested. Because when we begin to operate as the bride of Christ who looks like Him, we'll begin to see transformation at a rate and a level and an expression that is not humanly possible. So... What is a forerunner, right? A forerunner, I just said, someone who goes ahead and prepares for what's coming. Now, where I kind of started to, to study this was with a man, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is commissioned as a forerunner to Jesus being introduced to the earth. And I believe, and I want to say this from the outset, that we are being prepared like a John the Baptist generation, preparing the way for the return of Jesus. So, in Luke chapter 1, verse 14, this is talking about John. It says, You will have great joy and delight, and many will rejoice over his birth, for he will be great and distinguished in the sight of the Lord, and he'll never drink wine or liquor, and he will be filled with and empowered to act by the Holy Spirit, even while still in his mother's womb. 
He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to love and serve the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, capital H, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedience to the attitude of the righteous, which is to seek and submit to the will of God in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here's this introduction to John the Baptist, the forerunner, who is, his ministry is, is, is preparing the way for Jesus. And there's a couple of things about John the Baptist that are really unique. I think one of the worst portrayals of a biblical character has been John the Baptist. Because every, doesn't matter, even the chosen, I love the chosen, they got it right with everyone except John. Uh, John was just so creepy. I don't know about you, I was watching, I was like, oh, I, no. Anyway, but every one of these movies, you watch John the Baptist, and he's always this crazy psycho, like, dude, you know, he's got this weird, he's, he's stinky and gross, and I don't think John the Baptist was like that. I think if you were to meet John the Baptist, I think he's a pretty regular dude. But I think he was a pretty regular dude who lived a very focused life. I think if you met John the Baptist, he was somebody that understood what he was alive for, understood the time and the season he was in. And though he might have had that crazy wild look in his eye, which you all have right now, which I love, though he had that, I guarantee you he was an everyday guy who made everyday decisions to follow Jesus. He made everyday decisions to allow himself to be set apart for the mandate and the call and the assignment of God on his life. And he knew that he was there to prepare a way for, for Jesus. And so I believe that God's setting us apart as a John the Baptist-like generation to prepare the way for the return of the Lord. And it says that he went as a forerunner before him, before Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, if you understand what Elijah did, Elisha carried the double portion and was a picture, a type of Christ. And Elijah actually prepared the way. What Elijah did was he allowed his life to become a contradiction to everything that was normal in his day. Elijah's life was a contradiction to what was happening in that time. And Elijah allowed himself to become a contradiction, and it cost him greatly. So much so that when Elijah calls Elisha, he actually says to Elisha, what have I done to you? In other words, he's saying, I've, I've called you, and you've said yes, and now I know what, what's ahead for you. Let me put it this way. I'm diving into this a little bit too quick, but it's okay. Matthew chapter 4 describes the birth pangs or birth pains of the end times. We've seen them all. Revelations, the book of Revelations describes 21 judgments. 21 judgments, events, that happened before Jesus' return. So let me put it this way to you. Without going into eschatology and trying to figure it all out, let's just put it simple. If you believe we're in the end times and we're coming closer and closer to the day of His returning, guess what your future is? Suffering. I promise I'll bring context, don't worry. I'm feeling all the demons freaking out. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. And hear me today, because if you hear me, this will change your life. I believe in prosperity aggressively. But I believe in prosperity in the context of lordship. The kingdom of heaven is not an, a, an initiative. The kingdom of heaven is not an initiative that we decide to support. 
So prosperity outside of lordship is I get to dictate when, how much, and how because I've decided that this, this thing called the kingdom is a great initiative that I'd love to be a part of. And so what we do is because it's an initiative, we try and find expressions in our lives to justify why we support that initiative. No, I'm a kingdom business, so I support an initiative. I'm going to come back to this. So if we understand Matthew 24 and the book of Revelations, we know that Babylon will fall. Babylon's a representation. You're all okay. I promise you're okay. Smile at me. It's going to be okay. I promise I'll take you through this. Hold on tight. We're going to get to the end of it. People are like, I'm intense, but I love you so much. That's why I'm sharing this word. Babylon will fall. Babylon represents the systems of this world. It will fall. So why would you put your, your strength? Why would you put your uh, happiness, your well-being? Why would you put your trust in a system that has, is guaranteed to fall? Why would prosperity to you be shaped by material possessions if you know they're going to fall, if you know they will not be there at the end? Why would you count yourself prosperous because you have much material possessions that will not even be with you when you stand before the King of glory? Ah. And material possessions are called to serve us, so I'm going to get to that. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. So we're called to be these pioneers, right? These forerunners who are going ahead in the spirit and power of Elijah, meaning that the spirit of Elijah is allowing ourselves as a generation to be a contradiction and to be okay with it. Not to be seeking the approval of man, to be seeking the success of this world, but understanding that who I am and what I'm about is not going to be understood or received. So now we look back at John the Baptist and we say, of course he said the things that he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We go, of course he said that. That was Jesus. Well, when he said it, nobody understood what he was talking about. Because a a guy from Nazareth came walking into the crowd and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everyone looked at John and said, this oak is absolutely loony. Here's this guy who's saying to the crowd, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine the people going like, what is up with this dude? Like, we're following him because he's pretty, he's pretty entertaining. So at the time, John the Baptist was a lunatic. Now we look at him and we say, oh my word, we want to be like John the Baptist. So you see, when you're called to be a forerunner, you look like a, a nut. Hey, Mama Krista. <laughs> That's the reality. But after the fact, when Jesus comes, suddenly there's context. And was it worth it? Absolutely. So what marked him as a forerunner was he allowed himself to operate as a contradiction to that time. In other words, Rome wanted to kill him. The religious uh, leaders of the day wanted to kill him. He offended everybody. And yet he was in the will of God. He was beheaded. But he was in the will of God. Oh, but did he miss it? Because I thought that God is, when it's God, it's blessed. When it's, when it's devil, it's suffering. One of the things that is crippling the, the Western church today is that we do not know how to suffer. See, this, let me say it this way. This is the only time in eternity you'll ever have the privilege of suffering. 
So make it count. What's beautiful is that it's the spirit and power of Elijah, meaning that we come in the spirit of Elijah, allowing ourselves to be separate from the world, a contradiction to mankind. But at the same time, God gives us power, signs, wonders, and a demonstration of who He is as forerunners. It says to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. I want to touch on this real quick. I know that that's a beautiful verse for Sunday school, um, you know, that the fathers now care about the children again, the children care about the fathers and all of that. That was a joke. Um, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful verse about the fathers and sons. And I do believe that we're in a time where God is redeeming and restoring fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters in the house. Where he's taking us out of a hierarchical institutional uh, system, which was, we need to get healed from institutionalism in the church. Amen? But when we do, what he does is he restores family, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters. But there's more than this. I believe... That this has to do with the fathers of the faith, the fathers of what we have been about. If they were to look at us today, would they recognize Christ? Would they recognize, if Paul was to look at the church today, do you think he'd look at it and go, yeah, that's the church? Or would he look at the church and go, that? What is that? Is that, that can't be what we started so what I believe is this forerunner anointing is actually where we begin to come back into the dream of God, where the fathers can actually look at the children, where their hearts can be turned toward the children and actually realize, wow, the dream of God. I don't have time to unpack that, but that's, a, that's really profound. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, the attitude of the righteous, the disobedient, the, the forerunner anointing, what we carry, what we minister, it's going to turn the hearts of disobedient uh, people, the attitude of disobedient people to righteousness, a demonstration of righteousness. And it's not a righteousness of works, it's a righteousness of faith. And the Amplified says, which is to seek and submit to the will of God. Seek and, what's that word? Submit. Again and again, God won't move off of that one because He's Lord. And then the last one, in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Is everyone okay? Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is coming. <laughs> okay, uh, Luke chapter 7. Listen to this. Luke chapter 7, verse 24. When John's messengers... Uh, left, Jesus began speaking to the crowds about John. Listen to this. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, entirely unsuited for the harsh wilderness? Those who wear splendid clothing and live in luxury are in royal palaces. But what did you really go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one far more eminent and remarkable than a prophet who foretells the future. This is the one of whom it is written by the prophet Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is profound. 
All the people and the tax collectors who heard Jesus acknowledged the validity of God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, who were experts, annulled and set aside God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Listen to what Jesus says here. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another and saying, we played the flute for you, pretending to be at a wedding, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, pretending to be at a funeral, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a man who is a glutton and a wine drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by all her children." The Amplified says, by the lifestyle, moral character, and good deeds of her followers. If you were to ask me, what is 24-7 church about? Are we about His presence? Yes. Are we about the nations? Yes. Are we a worshiping people? Yes. All these things. But if you would ask me in one sentence, it would be this. Cultivating a lifestyle of one who knows that the day is near. If you know the day is near, what does the lifestyle look like every day? What, how do I live my life when the day is drawing nearer and nearer and nearer and I'm living for the moment that I see Him face to face? What would I do? How would I spend my time? How would I spend my finances? Where would I go? Who would I talk to? What would I say? I don't want to be like children sitting in the marketplace pretending to play wedding with no response, singing a dirge pretending to be at a funeral, but no one weeps. Why is it a wedding and a funeral? Because what Jesus is saying is John the Baptist came in preparing a way for Jesus. Jesus comes. The invitation is this. Come to the wedding feast and come to the funeral. Why? Wedding feast because I've called you to be a bride. Funeral because I've called you to die to yourself. But are we going to be a bunch of people, and it says children in the marketplace, are we going to be a bunch of people that are so wrapped up in ourselves as well? I played the flute for you, but you did not dance. I sang the funeral song, but you did not weep. This isn't a game. We're not pretending. We're not, we're not coming to sit in services and, and play church. Either he's coming or he's not, and I believe he is. And if he is, then we know why we're alive. Are you, are you with me? Okay, so now, so you see this, yet wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right uh, by all her children by their lifestyle. Wisdom is vindicated by what? Lifestyle. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner, and when she found out that he was reclining at the table and in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and respectfully kissed his feet as an act, signifying both affection and submission, and anointed them, his feet, with perfume. Now when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, this is what Simon the Pharisee is thinking, if this man was a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman is touching him, 
that she's a notorious sinner, an outcast. Jesus answering. (laughs) Simon had a thought and Jesus answered it. You're with me. Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. There's some of you in this room today. Jesus is saying, I have something to say to you. And he replied, teacher, say it. Jesus says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed uh, him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. So Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesy shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who forgives even sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace. Here's what I want to say to you. Pharisees ticked all the boxes. They were wealthy. They paid their tithes. They followed the law. But they did it so that they could have a seat at the table and share their opinion. And Jesus says to this man, he says to this man, you could afford it, but you did not wash my feet. You didn't kiss me. You didn't anoint me. Not even with ordinary oil. You could afford it. But this woman took her broken life and everything she had to fill a jar with the most expensive perfume she could possibly find. And she came into the room where Jesus was at, and she came low. Now, I guarantee you, the natural mind, and this is why every Pharisee and person sitting at that table would have looked at that, and again, like the same with Mary of Bethany, what a waste. What are you doing? Where is the wisdom in this? If you want to change your life and turn your life around, why would you buy perfume to pour on his feet? Why wouldn't you actually take that, put it into an investment fund or savings? Why wouldn't you go and actually get yourself some better clothes so that you can go to that job interview and get a better job? No, she took it and she poured it on his feet. And she kissed his feet. And she used her tears and her hair to wipe the dirt from his feet. See, I hope this is offending you. Because if it's offending you, you need to get free. This is not me. Now, this is not Connor talking to you anymore. This is, I can feel Holy Spirit, He's saying, you need to get free. You need to allow me to offend you. Let me offend you because you need to be offended to get free because I'm calling you into a freedom that is going to take you way beyond what you ever thought you would live in. Um, my heart's crying out saying, hear me. Hear me, beloved. We're living in a time now where we will see the greatest days in history. 
Don't be a Pharisee sitting at a table who could afford it but did nothing, but was the one who invited him into the house so that I could sit there and be seen, that I could have my opinion and have my conversation and ask my questions and find out what's actually going on. No, let's be people who take our lives and break it and waste it on his feet. It's what I have. It's not, it's not a whole thing of, well, you know, I need to get to a place where I can afford to do that. Some people can afford it and they don't. See, this is the spirit of a pioneering forerunner church. It's a group of people that are not so concerned with this world. That are not, they're allowing their lives to be a contradiction. This woman comes and she breaks her life at Jesus' feet and she's a contradiction to the wisdom of the age. I'm not talking at you this morning. I, I, am, I, want to, I want to set you on fire. See, I'm recognizing the moment that I'm in right now. And my heart is aching. Because I'm telling you, we have come to a time. We've come to a time where the gospel is either going to liberate you or it's going to offend you and chase you away. Jesus said, why did you go out to the wilderness to see this man? Why did you go out? What did you expect? Were you there to be entertained? Were you there to see that if he was wearing nice clothes and successful? Were you looking for the next trend? What were you looking for? Because he says, let me tell you what John the Baptist was about. John the Baptist paid the price to set himself apart. To be a prophetic witness and demonstration to his generation of what was coming. I'm going to invite you to take a moment to let your thoughts settle. Because what I'm saying is stirring up all the junk. So there's a freak out in your head. I can see it. And it's okay. It's okay. I'm saying to you this morning, I deeply love you. And the Holy Spirit loves you so much. And I've wept over this word because I'm, I'm realizing more and more that this is what we are called to carry and I've had to come to a, a place where I said, Lord, even if it's one, standing in the wilderness crying out, it will be worth it on the day that you return. And I want you to understand something, that I have preached messages like I'm preaching right now and looked my friends in the eye, knowing that I'm offending them, knowing that I may even be hurting them. But I would rather you be hurt by the gospel let it hurt you. Let it cut you. So that you can finally come to the end of yourself and say yes. And if I stand before Jesus one day and I can say, Lord, I just obeyed. I don't know anything else. Are you with me? This is what I'm inviting you to. My prayer, anytime that I have the absolute privilege of sharing the word, my prayer is, God, make a holy example out of me. That's my prayer. I'm saying to you today, I'm inviting you as well as myself because a forerunner calls their own heart before they call anybody else's. I'm calling my own heart to this today. And I'm inviting you and I'm saying, there's a price, there's a cost.
to be forerunners. And we will be rejected. There will be suffering. See, if, if we understand that in Revelations, Babylon's falling, what COVID is, is nothing in comparison to what's coming. Right? But the bride of Christ is a people that live from the riches of His glory in the midst of pain and suffering. Do you understand what I'm saying? The bride of Christ is a group of people who live in the end times where there's suffering, pain, and hardships, but they are living above it from the glory realm, bringing the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of heaven into this earth, not so that we can see earthly things become His kingdom. Ooh. When, when we talk about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, what we're not saying is taking the material natural world and making it the kingdom because it's not going to be there at the end. What we're saying is bringing the rule, the reign, and the lordship of Jesus Christ onto the earth, that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of hearts. And that's what will be standing with you in eternity when you stand before Jesus. It'll be hearts, lives that have been touched, changed, and transformed. It's not going to be your assets, your investments, your funds. And I know I'm sorry that we keep talking about money. I'm sorry that there was a six-part block. Can I tell you why I'm sorry? I'm sorry because you don't understand what it takes to put that stuff out. You don't understand what it takes to risk success, to risk being a successful church, but preaching the truth. You don't understand how much you second-guess yourself and finally get to the end of yourself, take a hold of Jesus and say, I have to obey you. And I, all I'll say is this. I, I don't care if you found 40 million articles and YouTube videos that back up your statement. Show me in the Word. Because I guarantee you now what I'm finding is there's an 80 to 20% thing here on suffering and prosperity, and it's 20% prosperity. So what is prosperity? I have to go there. See, what if prosperity is not about excess? What if prosperity is not about excess? What if prosperity is like Paul says in Philippians 4, everything that I need to do what God's called me to do? Or what if prosperity goes even further and it's everything that I need to do what I'm called to do and to help others in what they're called to do? Now, God can take finances and flow through your life like a rushing, raging flood because it has nothing to do with the finances. You catching what I'm saying? I'm back, Ben, I promise. <laughs> I didn't go all the way. You, you hear what I'm saying? I'm not preaching poverty. But I am against prosperity outside of the context of lordship. I'm against it. But I'm so for, aggressively for prosperity in the context of lordship. Because you see, when he's lord, then he is the CEO of your business. If he's lord, then he's lord of your life, of your finances, of your time, of your family, of everything that you do. So that's why God can give you radical amounts of money that would astound the world because he knows that tomorrow if he said give it away, you would. And let me just say this. He's probably going to say give it away more than he says keep it. You know, um, 
talking to Rob's because for the first time I was just sharing, I've never shared with people, but I was sharing um, the percentage of our money that we sow. We sow. I've chatted to people that go like, but that, that makes no sense. Aren't we all meant to just sow to you? And doesn't it just, isn't it just you sowing back to yourself? I'm like, what kind of nonsense have we believed in the church? We tithe and we sow. I say that because I know that people look and go, oh, well, it's easy for you to preach this kind of stuff. I live this. And it costs and it hurts and it bites me just as much as it bites you to sow. But I want to invite you to go because once you've gone and you sit in homes with Syrian refugees, you never forget their faces. So now, I find myself in a place where every spare rand has to go to seeing them again. (sighs) Told you it would be tender and wild. So what am I, what am I saying? I'll, I'm going to try to re-preach this tonight. So if you want a better version, we'll try again tonight. But what I need you to hear today is God's calling us to be forerunners, and and we have to understand that what it means to be a forerunner is it's to see the worthiness of Jesus, to set yourself apart as a contradiction to society, to so serve the dream of God to go ahead of others when it seems crazy and to prepare the way. Uh, So there's characteristics of forerunners and you look at the ones that we have examples of. And one of the things was how these guys denied themselves the pleasures of this world. See, I, I'm sorry, but like, I, and I, the reason why we have to hit this is just because it's, it's, it's not, this has nothing to do with um, our personal lives right now. I'm hitting, I'm hitting a, a spirit that has held the church captive for so long. See, we have to read these scriptures and, and read scriptures like, like sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, like, like the dangers of material possessions. And it's, it has nothing to do with whether you can have them or not, but read the Scriptures. These guys made decisions to deny themselves the pleasures of this world for a purpose. It wasn't about finding you know, the discipline to make sure that I do this right. It wasn't that at all. It was being so given to something that it's easy to say no to other things. And I, I, I promise you, I've tried really hard to find 
the, the American dream message in this Bible. I fought myself. I've fought myself to find it. I've searched and searched and searched, and I've taken scriptures and I've extrapolated them as far as I can take them, and I still cannot find the American dream gospel. I still cannot find this message that God is going to make me an example by making me filthy rich so that people can look at my life and see the goodness of God. I cannot find it here. But what I do find is a group of people that are so yielded, laid down to Him that they can actually set themselves apart to be rivers of the kingdom, rivers of the rule, reign, and lordship of Jesus, that everything that we need to do what God's called us to do is supplied. Where people are operating in kingdom wealth, kingdom wealth, meaning wealth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But because they are so given to Him, they can operate in that, see those things flow into the kingdom, see them flow into the dream of God, but they are every day prepared to die for Him, every day prepared to go, every day prepared to give it all up. That they are not tied by a salary and they are not tied by an identity that I'm the supplier. No, you are not. You are not called to be a supplier. You're called to be rivers, yes, conduits, vessels of His kingdom. But tomorrow you could be a millionaire and three weeks from now you could be in Timbuktu. And it's the sons and daughters of God that will follow him in that way. And so what happens when you get shaken? I'm just being honest with you. Jess and I have been in a beautiful place where we spent most of our time contending need to need month to month. And then we've come into a time where the Lord's taken care of us. And so we've, we find ourselves in a Philippian 4 moment where it's like, where Paul says, in fact, I'm going to read it, where he says, I've, I've learned to be in lack, I've learned to be in abundance, and I've found the secret to facing life. What does he mean? He means this, there's two ways God provides. One, need to need. Oh, God actually does let you sometimes get to the day, to the minutes, to the second that you need it. And then says, I got you. No, you know, here's the thing. He does. Why? Because that right there tests your heart right to the core. So that's one way. And then the other way is he says, I'll provide for you way in advance. In other words, you're good. I got you. Abundance. He does both. But Paul says this. He says, not that I speak from any personal need. This is now him talking to the Philippians about what they've sent, that he's saying what you've sent is enough. So he's not trying to manipulate them for more money. Make sure we read it in context. That statement doesn't mean Paul was never in need. He's talking about right now, you've sent a gift. I'm not in need. Thank you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just sharing the truth. Thank you for your gift. I'm not in need. But he says, well, I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life. Whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need, I can do all things which He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose. Yeah. 
So now, now where we find ourselves is in this place where the Lord wants to really deal with your arrogance and your pride, your being ours. Um, and he wants to get it so out the way that you actually do become a vessel of the kingdom, a vessel of his spirit. Because you're resilient. It's never been about having and it's never been about not having. It's always been about him. That's why I can do all things through who? Through Christ. It's been about him. It's through him that I live my life. And so when I find myself in times of abundance, I know why I have it. If I'm a steward, the question is not now that I have this. The question is, why did you give it to me? That's what, that's what stewardship is. When God brings the abundance of heaven into your life, the question is, why did you give it to me? Because it's not mine. What's that statement you told me Bill Johnson said about tithers? Tithers are? Bill Johnson. How many people love Bill Johnson? So this is not me. Hate him, okay? <laughs> tithers are 1% above a thief. In other words, the 10% wasn't yours anyway. So don't get so proud that you gave it. Yeah, in fact, I love what mom says. You don't give tithes, you bring it. Giving happens after 10. Um, hey, I'm just five feet tall. We started earlier though. Sorry, I'm going long. Okay, Matthew 25, last thing. Parable of the 10 virgins. So Jesus, this is in the context where he's just had Matthew 24. He's just described the end times. And, and I don't know about you, but my Bible says perilous times. Oh, okay. Cool. But he just, in fact, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll explain it to you. There's 10 virgins. Half of them actually buy enough oil. Half of them don't. And they're waiting for the bridegroom. And he comes, and some of them have oil, and some of them don't. Make sure you have oil. This is, what, this is what forerunners do. Forerunners are first and foremost people so given to him that they make sure that they're living their lives in oil. They have oil. They've prepared. They've gone ahead. Well, the, the others are going, well, is it, when is he coming? And is it now generation? Maybe it's not. No, I don't have time for that. He's coming. So I have oil. So that when he comes, I haven't gone off to go and try and fi- find oil. I'm ready. Because the problem is those that went to go and find oil, by the time they came back, the door was shut. And Jesus said, I don't know you. We have no relationship. What are we living our lives for? Where are we positioning ourselves? Where are we going from here? What is shaping our lifestyle as the church? If we're alive as forerunners, as a forerunner church, to see the dream of God established on the earth, to see the kingdom of heaven established on the earth to prepare ourselves as his bride for his return then the way in which we live our everyday life will be shaped by a simple simple truth and that's that i will stand before him one day so why do we sow like generosity uh, crazy sowing amazing uh you know acts of of giving why do we do that why do we go to nations that nobody wants to go to why do we go down the street and take care of those that are in need? Why do we minister to waiters? Why do we reach out to every person that we could possibly find? Because one day I will stand before him. It's not so much about your gifting, not so much about what you think, 
you can do or can't do. This is about the fact that you're in love with the bridegroom and he's coming back and I want to have oil. I really did not mean for this to be so heavy, but it, I think it's just the Lord and he's just, poof. you know, here's the thing. We, we all screamed yes a couple of weeks ago and then I think now we're going, oh, this is what yes means? If I was to get you to roar yes now, I'm not sure how loud you'd roar. Are we addicted to hype or are we addicted to his presence? You with me? This might be my, my own insecurity because now I know I'm finished when I feel the anointing lift. But because suddenly when this I'll be real with you, when you preach a word like that and you operate in the anointing, you come in boldness and authority, and when you feel he's done and the anointing lifts, you feel vulnerable. So I look at my friends, I look at my family, and I'm like, all I want to say is I love you, it's gonna be okay. Shh, it's okay. Because I really do. I love this house. I love you. I love your life. You know, I, I share words like this. I love your businesses. I love what you do. I, lo- I care. Nobody gets to see me in my Jesus room where I weep and cry and nobody can see all the snot running down my face. And and that's, I know I speak on behalf of the leaders of 24-7 Church when I say that. So this word is intense, probably one of the most heavy and intense ones I've ever brought. But I hope that it, it opens your heart, it awakens you to the truth of the gospel. Because, see, what this word should do, maybe this is a good thing. Let me tell you what it should look like, then you can measure your response. How's about that? What this word should do is it should make you, number one, want to fall at his feet. And then number two, everything that you do from there, all, you, all you're thinking is, Lord, this must be in submission to you, the great lover of my soul. Not submission to you, the taskmaster who wants to taskmaster who wants to, you know, take all, all that I have. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the great lover of your soul who knows what you need. How, what happens when he gets to decide your needs and your wants? So, for example, I'll be funny. My dream car right now is the Haval H2. That's what I want, right? Ben says no. I don't care what you say. I want the H2, right? And if God gave me, if hear me, if God gave me the Havel H2, if God gave me the Havel H2, I would drive it with absolute confidence. I wouldn't feel ashamed. I wouldn't feel guilty because he gave it to me. But if he gave it to me and 18 months later he said, give it away, I would give it away gladly. This is what I'm talking about. I, I, I I'm trying to use practical examples. I have a dream car. I, I like things. I have an Apple Watch. Lord, must I give it? No, okay, cool. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? I, I like nice things. <laughs> there we go. No, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I'm being dead serious. You know, I'll give you examples. I, was, I, went to, I got invited to a government thing in, in Joburg City a while back with Mark. We went to go and sit there when they were talking about elections. And, and I dressed all my best clothes. Like, it was awesome. I had my wedding shoes that I had for my wedding. It was like my best shoes. I, was, I looked awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go there, and we sit there, and wow, most boring governmental meeting you could sit in. Just sat there praying, like, Lord, do something with these people, because wow. Um, anyway, and then it got postponed, believe it or not. I was about halfway through. I was like, okay, we're not going to finish this today, so we'll reschedule this for, you know, three months' time. So that was that meeting. So I'm all dressed up for nothing. And uh, being with Mark, he was like, let's go to the nearest uh, township in Hillbrow, which we did. And I ended up with a man who it was his birthday and Jesus said to me, give him your shoes. 
These are my wedding shoes. And I didn't phone Jess. But the Lord said, give me your shoes. Now, we had parked our car, and I'd walked like two Ks on the burning hot tar road. And I gave him my shoes. And this man gets so touched by Jesus that on his birthday, Jesus would send just a, a dude who has some nice shoes to come into the township, take them off and put them on his feet and tell him that Jesus knows him and loves him. And then walk the full two Ks barefoot on the burning hot tar. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm preaching to you today is not something that I don't desire and aim to live. I, I, as much as I share this with you, as, as how I live, I'm, I, I long for this. I, I want to be an example. Lord, make me an example, a holy example of what he's saying. So, so the right response, the measuring thing. My, my heart is that you come away just so longing to be his. That you trust him so much that it, it just doesn't matter if he said give it all away or have it all. It just, it's, not, it's so not tied to your heart that you're not shaken when there's times of need because you found the secret to facing life. You know, I, most of my journey has been finding the secret of facing life in the other part, the need to need. And, and then when God takes you to a, time, a season of abundance, you realize how much you need that same revelation in abundance because money will quickly grab your heart, quickly. And so we need to be good stewards of our yes, good stewards of our heart, and make sure we stay in Him. And so if you come out of this room and you're ready to give everything to Jesus, you stay in that place, you stay submitted and yielded to Him, He will use you for His glory. But understand that we are forerunners, that we are not meant to be understood and received by this world. I understand that you can preach to me about Abraham all you want, but he's not in the new covenant. Bless you. Abraham's beautiful, but the new covenant, there's examples that we're called to follow and live by. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. When I imitate Christ, I don't see somebody striving to make it. I see somebody bringing the kingdom of God and everything that he does. And everything that flowed from his life was for the kingdom of heaven. You with me? Shall we stand? I know I'm going to get an email or a conversation about that Abraham comment, and I welcome them because I still believe in the Scriptures. I believe in everything that's said about Abraham. But just make sure you bring it into the covenant that we live in because we don't live in a pre-law covenant. We, we, we now live actually in the new covenant. Amen. Shall we lift our hands? Holy Spirit, I really wanted to come back to some worship, but we'll just worship you like this. Lord, I know this was a strong word. I know, even from my own heart, I know that this has, has cut me to the heart, Lord. So in absolute humility, I ask that you come and do something with this word in us, Lord. <laughs> that you do what I can't do, what no gifting or anointing could do upon a man, but only the very spirit of Jesus. That you'd come and, and minister to every heart and every life. God, I pray that if there are people that are feeling a little bit wounded or offended, God, I pray that the comforter comes and brings the comforting of your presence, the comfort of your presence, so that they can be liberated, set free, and run into more, more. Lord, I just, I cover this family in the blood of Jesus, that in this hour and in this moment, what you are doing in us is so deep. But I'm so grateful that you are building your church and that it's on no man, that we're all just called to be obedient. 
And as we say yes to you and as we follow you, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That we are living for the day that you will return and we will stand before you and look into your eyes and give an account and it will be a joy. It will be a great joy. Fill us with joy today, Holy Spirit. Fill us with the joy of your presence, the fullness of joy that's found in you, the joy that it is to lay down our lives, the joy that it is to make you Lord, King, and Savior. Lord, as much as I long and desire for the fun, wild manifestations of your presence right now that maybe would make everyone feel a bit better, I know that you are working And I know that the weighty presence of Jesus is in this room. And so I I ask that you even help my own heart to give you space and room to minister even where it hurts, Lord. To minister right to the depths of our heart, right to the deep places of our souls, so that we can run with the King. Lord, I honor every single person in this room. I honor their desire for you. I honor their longing for you. I I honor the fact that they are here. And I celebrate them. And I celebrate their yes to you, Jesus. And I celebrate their beautiful hearts and their giftings and the anointings and the assignments and the call of God on their life. I celebrate them. But I do pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in them, in us, as a family, on earth as it is in heaven. Emphasis on the heaven part. (laughs) And so we love you and we enthrone you and we exalt you today. Lord, let our lives be altars. I pray, Lord, that in eternity I'll look back and see my life on the earth as a memorial of your goodness, your faithfulness, and what it looks like to say yes to the King of glory. I bless you. I love you and I honor you and we bless you and we love you and we honor you. Marvelous, most beautiful king. And you are the great shepherd. And Lord, where there's shepherd, shepherding needed, thank you that you'll come and shepherd us, that you'll shepherd our hearts. I love you, Lord. I honor you and I bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.